And Jesus goes, you've missed the point entirely. So um, the trick with this passage, it's long and there's a lot in it. And the trick is to go, what is the point that the writer's trying to make? What's the real, what's the big idea here? And to get a hint of the big idea, you've got to think about John 3, which is what we looked at last week. And the whole point of John 3 is that Jesus has come as the savior of the world, but that you can't see this unless you've been born again. So you need to, God needs to change you spiritually so that you can see the kingdom of God. And once you see it, you'll understand that Jesus is the king and the savior in this kingdom. But not everyone can see it. And so then what we see in this passage in John 4 is this incredibly clever story around how we see things and what do we see that illustrates the point. People who don't see and people who do see, and they see different things, don't they? Right? So, uh, for example, um, uh, what does the Samaritan woman see? Um, the Samaritan woman comes to draw water, middle of the day. She's probably a social outcast in some way, shape, or form. She's alone. Most of the women would have come in the morning, uh, in the cool of the day. She's not with them because she's probably, because of her lifestyle, in some way excluded socially. So she's by herself. And Jesus asks her a question. And uh, the Samaritan woman sees that he's a Jew. Now, that's interesting. I'd never thought about how she identified that immediately. Uh, possibly from his accent, possibly from his clothing. She gets it. She sees. Uh, and she goes, I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, now, men and women didn't hang out in secluded places. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, and she goes, how can you ask me for a drink? So she sees physically what's going on. And then why on earth does Jesus say verse 10? If you knew the gift of God as it asked you for a trip, I've asked him and he would have given living water. Why does he say that to her? What's, what's, what doesn't, what's going on there? Well, she sees him as a Jew and as a man, but she doesn't really see who he is. She doesn't see. So he's really saying, your problem is you don't see me. You, you just see, you don't really see me. Um, and so I want to introduce to you, and this was the point of the video, which do we have? Have you been able to find? I'll just check the video option that we have. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. Yep, we can play it from, I don't know if we can. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll I'll post the link to the video. Um, the video, I'll explain. The, there's this very famous, if you Google the selective attention test, it's one of the most famous experiments in psychology where you have, a, you have two uh, basketball teams, two students playing basketball, and one in wearing white, one wearing black. And the instruction you have is to count the number of times the ball is passed between white players, the, the players wearing white. 
And so the ball is passed, the ball is passed, the ball is passed. Uh, and then you, uh, everyone goes, how many times was the ball passed? And people give the answer. And then people ask, did you see the gorilla? And during that little setup game, another student in a gorilla suit walked into the middle of the game, thumped his chest and walked off. And do you know, more than half of people who do this experiment completely failed to see the gorilla. Isn't that interesting? We see what we're focused on and we don't see everything. And that's really very, very significant. So focus shapes what we see. Now, in the Circle of Security Parenting Program, which was the other thing I was going to show, and um, it was even trickier to make work this morning, um, that, that they use the same thing, that in parenting, one of the things this program teaches is to look for what is hidden in plain sight. So there are all these dynamics that our children are telling us, messages our kids are telling us, that as parents, we don't see because we're focusing on other things like getting out of the door, like getting dinner cooked, like just managing our own emotions, just managing life, right? So uh, what we see depends on what we focus on. Now, it gets even more exciting than this. Um, we, are, we have two seeing brains. We have a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And our left, the left hemisphere controls sight of focus. So we are designed, there's a part of, we effectively have two, two brains that sort of work together. And in evolutionary terms, we've evolved to have hyper-focus on getting food. Okay, so you look on that and you can see the little thing you've got to hunt and kill. And you've got another part of the brain, another brain, another hemisphere that is designed to stop you becoming food for somebody else while you get your own food. So that's the big picture that helps you see. And they operate very, they have two very different ways of attending to the world and seeing the world. So uh, in our own experience, what we focus on is what we see. And this is hardwired and built into the very structure of our brains. And it's built into the structure of spiritual reality because Jesus said in John 3, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't see. We can't see spiritual reality unless God does something in us because we're all focused on the material. I mean, what we can see, taste, touch, feel, this is this gets our attention. And so the Samaritan woman sees Jesus as a Jewish man and engages with him like that, and that's totally fine. That's what he is. But she doesn't see the rest of what he is. And so it's almost like there's a, there's a, you know, there's two ways of seeing, isn't there? There's the, you can see the material world. And then there's a whole spiritual dimension to reality. This is, uh, and so this is the kingdom of God. And they are both part of the same reality. But we all just tend to focus in on here. And that's what the Samaritan woman does. She's like, I see. And Jesus says, but hang on. If you really knew who I was, you'd ask. And, he, and it's amazing. You go, well, oh, that would be a pretty cool thing to see, wouldn't it? Um, and I mean, um, 
that'd be pretty cool. You would, he would give you living water. And again, we don't have time to do this. Well, I do, but you don't, because you've got other things to do. I could keep talking for ages, but actually, um, you know, water is this great, what does she see? She just sees water as water, as a critical thing you need to live, to have to live. And if you've traveled, if you've lived in somewhere like Israel, uh, you know, or a desert, you know that water is unbelievably precious. We can live without food for months. You, you can't live without water for very long at all. You need constant water to survive. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, you need water. I get that. I see that you need water. But actually, you know what? We have a deeper need. In the same way that Jesus just isn't just a Jew, Water is not just water. Jesus goes, actually, you know what? And your need is not just your need. What you really need is, is living water is a, a source of life that bubbles up from the inside. That's what you really need. You don't see it, but you need it. If you saw it, you'd be looking for it. And if you saw who I really was, Jesus says, you'd know that I could meet that need. That's pretty cool. Aren't we, don't we live in a suburb of Samaritan women? And isn't our temptation that we are very much like Samaritan women? By which I don't mean your multiple spouses or spice. What I mean is, is it not so easy for us to be hyper-focused on our immediate physical material needs? And we've become very good at meeting those needs. But like the Samaritan woman, we don't see the bigger picture. We're all, in fact, um, we're all left brain focused and we don't see the spiritual realities of the world at two levels. One, we don't fully see our spiritual needs. I was talking with a guy just yesterday who is a, uh, um, we're walking along the beach at Kuji after having lunch and uh, talking about, he's, he, he worked for Qantas for 32 years and, um, and none of his family have any kind of real faith and his, his elderly mum's dying. And we were, and, and he's, we're just talking, he's asking me, we're talking about how hard it is to raise matters of faith and spirituality with those who are really close to you. So he's got two brothers and they're not religious at all. And his mum's sort of vaguely Catholic, but she's stopped. She, she's, she's very elderly and she's worried about dying. And we were just talking about how hard it is to help affluent materialistic Australians actually really engage with conversations of faith and spirituality because we don't see it. We don't see how significant it is. I mean, if, you th if we really saw the spiritual world the way it is and our great spiritual needs, don't you think it would change our lives? Like here's a really simple thing. None of us consistently see the impact of our own mortality because if we saw, and we can't, we live in denial. We deny it. We always think someone else is going to die. It's the person next to us is going to, it's not going to happen to us, right? But if we understood that and, and we really grappled with that, that would, that would help us make, see 
all of our life in a different light and would help us see that actually the spiritual reality that Jesus offers is way more significant than any meeting of any physical needs. We need living water like the Samaritan woman does way more than we need water views. Now, water views are far more pleasant now. But living water is what we need to live for eternity, have eternal life. So we're like, but then, and the story is really clever because um, it's not just the Samaritan woman who doesn't see, right? Uh, what I also like is, um, anyway, Jesus goes on, there's this great story and um, promises of living water. And, and then the woman, uh, I mean, she still doesn't really get it in verse 15. So give me this water so I won't get thirsty and having, have to keep coming here to draw water. So he's had this whole dialogue. She still doesn't get it. And eventually he goes, okay, now I'll tell you what I've got to do. I'm going to show, Jesus says, to help you see me, I'm going to show you how clearly I see you. And what he does is he just exposes all her deepest spiritual needs by going, hey, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And um, what's he saying with that? He's saying, I see that you're a mess. <laughs> I see that you need healing at the core of your being. You need far more than just water. You need something to set you free from your past, to bring you freedom from shame and guilt, to bring you inclusion into your community again, to make you right with God. That's what Jesus says, I see in you. And eventually she gets it. And she goes, oh, I can see, like, notice this. So this is a progressive unveiling. Uh, so the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Okay, it's, it's all about what do you see? Now, eventually, the light's going, oh, I see you're a prophet. You're not just a bloke walking through Samaria. I can see you're a prophet. And then she goes, well, let's have a little argument about theology and history. And, uh, of course, that, um, uh, that doesn't go so well for her, or maybe it does. Jesus tells her what, what's really happening. Um, and then she goes, well, I know the Messiah's coming. And then Jesus reveals himself to her so that he makes it clear. He goes, I'm going to make it super obvious for you. I, the one speaking to you, am he. And she sees who he really is. She gets it. She gets it. She goes running back home and, uh, and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she sees Jesus, and then you know what she wants? She wants everyone else to see Jesus. So she goes home, and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. And then another bunch of actors enter the story, and that's the disciples. And you know what's funny is they don't really see who Jesus is either. And uh, while the woman had been worried about water, the disciples are worried about food. That's their focus. Like, Rabbi, eat something. And then he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Another way you could put that is, I've got food to eat that you can't see. <laughs> so what's the food? 
Well, in the same way that the woman wanted physical water and Jesus says, I'll give you spiritual water, living water that will meet all your needs, set you free from shame and guilt. The, the disciples are like, well, you need to eat something, Rabbi. You're looking a little, you know, it's time for lunch. And he goes, no, I've got food. Well, what is the food? It's not material food. He says, there is a, a you know, what is food? I mean, food, as we talked about with the Lord's Supper, food is simply a, a way that energy is stored and made accessible to us as we digest it so that we can live and work, right? That's what food is. It's digestible energy. And so Jesus says, I have digestible energy. I have an energy source that you don't know anything about. Now, the disciples are really spiritually switched on at this point, aren't they? I mean, what's clear in this story is they don't yet see the kingdom of God either. They're not born again. Their eyes are not open. They are focused on the material and they go, oh, could someone have brought him food? Like, oh, what, what's he talking about here? I can't see any food. Can you see any food? And he goes, actually, my energy source, the thing that nourishes and sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is the thing that keeps me going. Um, okay. And then there's another whole discussion about what do the disciples see? They didn't see the food. They didn't see who Jesus was. And then he says to them, have a look around the world. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at or see. It's the, Look at is the same root Greek word as see, the imperative of see. Look, open your eyes and see the fields. Okay, so what? So we've had water. Well, you've had the person of Jesus. How do you see him? material or spiritual. You've had water. How do you see that? Material or spiritual. You've had the needs of the Samaritan woman. How do you see those? Material or physical? I just need a drink or I need forgiveness. You've had Jesus' food. How do you see that? Fish burger or uh, to do the will of God, divine energy directly working in him. And then he goes, if, so what Jesus is now saying, if you see the world spiritually, you know what? Have a look at the rest of the world and see what it's really like see what it's really like and you know what the world is really like it's like a place where people are really ready for god they just don't know it they don't have anyone to bring them in yet but they're ready and won't and what they need is people to go out and tell them about jesus and help them see what they really need um so let's, let's back up. Um, what does that mean for you? It's a good question. Uh, well, here's the, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news, it's really simple. The bad news is it's really simple and hard. We're a little bit like the Samaritan woman and we're a little bit like the disciples. We are inclined and it becomes very easy for us, very easy for us to see all the world just like this to see church like this, to see Jesus like this, just a historic person, just a good guy, just a prophet. We can see ourselves just like this. I mean, what is my, what is your greatest need? What is your single greatest need right now sitting where you sit? 
you could say for me to finish talking, for another coffee, for the kids to be quiet, for uh, your health to improve, for a promotion, for security. It could be any number of things. But if you see with the eyes of Jesus, what's my greatest need? My greatest need is God. I actually need, I need God more than any of these other things, because if I have God in my life, I have everything else. If I don't have God, I have nothing in the end. So how do I see myself? Uh, that we're, we're, We can be very much like the, like the disciples, you know, where is, here's the other thing, where do I get the energy to live a meaningful life what's or another way of putting it is what's going to help me live a life of meaning what's going to sustain me in a life of meaning and purpose well the disciples thought it was you know the fish burgers they got from the takeout down the road they thought it was food like i need the things of this world to lead a, a, a meaningful life and jesus goes no 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 no. the energy that sustains me is doing the will of god Again, you need God in your life, sustaining, energizing you to actually make a difference in the world. Then you go, okay, so let's back up to my conversation with my friend walking along the beach at Kuji. Um, Jesus seems to indicate that if you look at the world out there, the fields are ready for the harvest. They are ripe for harvest. That is spiritually out there in the world. There are people are ready for Jesus. Like they're open, they're hungry, they're ready to come into the kingdom of God, right? Isn't that? And you go, that's so wonderful. Like the disciples, though, we can look around. Uh, the disciples, there were probably only a small handful of them. And we can look around and we can go, hang on, that is not true. I look at my friends and neighbors in Roselle and Balmain and my family, and they are spectacularly uninterested in God and in Jesus and in church. I mean, after all, there are about 40,000 people on the peninsula. How many of them are at church this morning connecting with Jesus? If we added up all the Christians meeting in church on the Balmain Peninsula this morning, if we hit a thousand, we'd be doing well. I reckon it's more like <laughs> this morning. It's more like a hundred this morning. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's a few hundred i don't know what's going on down at st augustine's if there's a catholic feast day maybe their numbers will be up but it's not a lot so what did G was jesus wrong when he said the the harvest is ripe maybe we just don't see it maybe we just don't see it and it's easy is it not to get depressed when we look at the purely material reality of life isn't it i mean People are disinterested in Jesus. Our own energy is running out. Our lives aren't that great. I mean, the disciples all abandoned Jesus. The Samaritan woman still had her five ex-husbands and the bloke she's with, she's not married to. Her life relationally is a bit of a mess. You know, and if you look at the church today, you go, man, it's easy to think the church is a mess. Certainly in the Western world, you go, wow, you know, it's, it's easy to be cynical or dispirited or disheartened. You know what? This story ends brilliantly. 
because the most unlikely people in all of the Jewish mindset and worldview, the people, if you'd ask the disciples or the Jews at the time, who are the people who are most likely to become followers of Israel's Messiah, the Samaritans would have been the last. They would treat, they thought of them as dogs. They thought of them as in like, like completely irreparably reprobate. There's no chance they'd ever come to Jesus. And how does the story end? With a whole bunch of Samaritans coming to Jesus who would have thought you can trust Jesus the way Jesus sees the world actually is right there's a spiritual hunger there's spiritual need he's uniquely placed to meet that need and what's more he uses people like Samaritan women messed up broken women to be the agents of bringing his life and good news to unlikely people so that they can come home to him. So I think, yay for the Samaritan women. It's not so bad to be like a Samaritan woman. You start off not seeing who Jesus is, you get to see Jesus is, you go and tell a bunch of other unlikely, spiritually disinterested people, and miraculously they come and believe what you've said. Come and check out Jesus for themselves, and they come to believe. People come to Jesus on the arm of a friend, and it doesn't matter if that friend is someone who, in a worldly sense, is very unspiritual and very inadequate and quite messed up. Because <laughs> what we're doing is bringing people to Jesus. But what that requires is seeing all of life the way Jesus does, not like all seeing with spiritual eyes the whole spiritual world around us. That's the discipline. So maybe the, the take home for you and for me, and I've been thinking about this a lot for a very long time, but a lot this week because I knew this passage is coming up. I've just, every day, I've, I've, I keep praying, Lord, help me see the world the way you see the world. Help me see people the way you see people. Help me see myself the way you see me. Like it starts to change things, doesn't it? Like C.S. Lewis said this, there is no person who you meet who if you saw, I'm paraphrasing him, if you saw them as they really are spiritually made in the image of God, there is no person you would meet who is not so glorious and wonderful that you would not be tempted to fall down in awe and wonder before them. Okay. Everyone made in the image of God is unbelievably glorious and wonderful. And everyone made in the image of God is unbelievably loved by Jesus. For God, this is John 3, for God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So do we believe that? Do we see that? Do you see your friends that way? Do you see yourself? I see myself. My greatest need is for Jesus. The greatest need of anyone you'll ever meet is for Jesus. And, uh, and he can use you to help them come home to Jesus. Just invite them. Tell them about this man who's changed your life. What's the worst that can happen? You lose your job. You get ostracized. And you get killed for your faith. 
as happened to all the disciples. But when you look at that with the eyes of faith, you go, that's not so bad at all. You just go straight home to be with Jesus. And by the way, that's extremely unlikely to happen in Balmain. You're much more likely just to be politely ignored. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, I, I ask you to help me and us to see you more clearly this morning. Give us eyes of faith to see the spiritual world that we live in. Jesus, to see you and to see ourselves the way you see us and to see other people the way you see us. And I pray that you will help us see that even here in this part of Sydney, the, there are people all around us who are glorious and wonderful and spiritually ready to come home to you and help us introduce them to Jesus. I pray, Lord, for the months and years ahead for all of our churches on the peninsula. Maybe we'll start with that. I pray that all the churches in, in the years ahead will be full of people coming home to you, Jesus. That there will be a great, great harvest of people turning from a purely material experience of the world to see who you really are and come home so that they can have the eternal life that you have won for them and for us. And whatever we can do, whatever role we can play in that, Jesus, help us do that. And we ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song. And then we're going to have coffee and morning tea and hang out and keep chatting. Let's stand. Worship our great God.